next meeting and the budget that we're going to be looking at. That's a, it's a way for us to be able to vote on and to have a discussion about how the resources that God has given to us are to be allocated. And as he mentioned, we're going to be voting on that after the service uh, this coming Sunday on the 29th. So I hope that you'll be able to um, be here. And that's also next Sunday we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper. So let's be sure we get our hearts and minds prepared for that. And as everyone is getting settled, I want to make sure that um, I tell you this. So we had 15 show up for our 101 class. Some were already uh, members, but there was a number um, who are wanting to know a little bit more about our church, which I find to be encouraging because I know we all who are part of ARBC play a part in that. Um, they only see me for a little bit, but they sure are able to be around you. And, and the spirit of the church is at a good place right now. And I'm very thankful that, uh, that of the part that we all can play in serving Jesus together. One of the ways we serve Jesus is by getting into his word. So let's do that. So we're in Mark chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 27 and go to Mark 12, verse 12. And as is our custom, why don't we stand as we honor his word together? Mark 11, starting in verse 27 and then going into the parable of the tenets in verse, through verse 12 of chapter 12. This is the word of the Lord. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Well, why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say from man... Uh, They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him, and they took him, and they beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed, and so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he, come and destroy, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Some of you may have heard this story before, but there was um, a magazine 
that was known as Institute Proceedings, and it's of the U.S. Naval Institute. And it tells the story about two battleships that were assigned to the training squadron and had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. Frank Koch was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported, light bearing on the starboard bow. The captain called out, well, is it steady or is it moving astern? The lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant they were on a dangerous collision course on this ship. The captain then, sig- then called to the signalman, signal that ship, we are on a collision course, advise you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, send, I am a captain, change course, you change course 20 degrees. I'm a second, se- I'm a second class seaman, came the reply, you had better change your course 20 degrees. By the time, though, that this was said, the captain was furious and he spat out, send, I am a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light. I'm a lighthouse. And so they changed course. Doesn't matter what your rank is. If you're a lighthouse, you're not moving. That's a problem. And so when, when we look at this, the, the idea was is, is really where does Jesus get his authority to do what he does? That's one thing. The other thing is who do we see as our authority when it comes to being a follower of Jesus? Now, of course, you would say, well, of course, Jesus is my authority. But the, the religious leaders would have said the same thing. Well, of course, God's my authority. But yet something was going on to where it seemed as if they didn't know what was going on. They were wondering what Jesus was really up to. And when we talked about it last week, when we looked at the fig tree, The fig tree was nothing but leaves. It didn't bear any fruit. And so Jesus said, may you never bear fruit again. He gets there and shows that this is a live action parable of what's going on in the temple. The religious leaders were nothing but leaves. They were bearing no fruit. Remember the two groups that we talked about last week, group one, this is my stuff, this is my temple. You can only do what we want you to do. And there was really no interaction with the scriptures. There was no interaction with anything. It was their church. It was their temple, rather. It was their, their stuff and, and how we can tend to be that way. This is our church. This is our stuff. This is our system. This is our values. And we begin to look at that and tend to forget about Jesus. They, they forgot about what the initial intention was of the temple. The initial intention of the temple was to be a house of prayer. But they had turned it into a den of robbers. They had turned it into where it was something for themselves. And sometimes we look at something like this and we say, how tragic. How tragic that those religious leaders allowed that to happen, but we can do the same thing. We can take for granted that we are being obedient. We can take for granted all that Jesus has done and really get riled up about the systems and the values and the structures and really get riled up about that and Jesus really not be anywhere in the discussion, be not anywhere in the picture. So this is what 
the Pharisees and the elders and the scribes, I mean, everybody was coming out. All of the, all of the religious leaders. Sometimes Jesus was dealing with Sadducees. Sometimes Jesus was dealing with Pharisees. Sometimes he, now this is like, wow, we all have the same enemy, so let's be together. And they all came out, and they were going after Jesus. And this was not a regular old meeting like sometimes we have. Well, what do you think? Well, I don't know. What do you think? And everybody stays civil. They were in his face. They were leaning in. And what I love about Jesus, again, it says in verse 27, and they came again to Jerusalem and he was walking in the temple. Jesus does not go in by the back door. He went in by the front door. And Jesus is not going to go in on the front door with you either. He's going to show you his word and he's going to go in the front door and he's going to have that interaction and, and that conversation with you about who's Lord. But they were trying to say this, look, by, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority to do them? What were they saying? Nothing happens in this temple unless we say it's okay. That's what they were saying. They had all been to seminary. They had all been to rabbinical school. They had all been trained. They had been in those pos- that position for years. Everybody else was scared of them. Whenever they said something, everybody else hopped. And yet Jesus wasn't playing along. He wasn't playing those games, nor will he. We sometimes want Jesus to jump for us. That's not how it works. And we can never, ever take that for granted. And so... Jesus said to them, okay, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you a question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority these things are done. Verse 30, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Are you all with me this morning? Jesus is asking us stuff all the time about where we are. He is constantly bringing to our attention where our authority lies and and do we trust in his authority or are we just simply taking him for granted putting him on the back burner thinking that of course whatever we say whatever we think whatever we do in church whatever we do when it comes to him of course he's on our side we could never be wrong could we and therefore what we end up not doing is evaluating where we are and what we believe, and what we do. Of course we're okay. Because look at what these fellows were doing. They discussed it with one another. Now what did they do? Did they go to the scriptures? Did they pull out their scrolls that they preached from every single Saturday at the synagogue and at the temple? I don't see them doing that. You know what I see their metric being? What are these folks going to think of me if I answer a certain way? Do you understand what can happen, church, that we can do that? We can come along and know the right thing to do. And it can even be in the Scriptures, and we can see it. But you know what can happen? We can look at, we can, we, we don't see God, so we don't think we have to fiddle around with them, with Him. So we, but we see this, and we get the reactions. Well, I don't want people thinking that of me, and I don't want people thinking that of me, and I don't want to lose my reputation, and I don't want to lose my, my leadership, and I don't want to lose my standing, so what are we going to do? Well, let's try to figure out a way to get out of this. So what happens? 
It says, they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say them, why did you not believe him? So they were worried about how Jesus was going to respond. They were worried about how they were going to look. And then he goes on to say, well, well, if we say from man, well, then what's the metric? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. They were religious and moral cowards. Because look at what was said before. When it was said before, when when Jesus cleansed the temple, Jesus gives them Scripture. Jesus has always given the religious people Scripture. And it's funny, when he was given all the religious leaders scripture, they didn't want to bother with that. This is what they were bothering with. Go back to verse 18 after Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Look what he says in verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him. Well, at least they had some sort of plan and some sort of conscience about something. They weren't cowardly about wanting to silence him, but what did they say there? Even there they were cowards, for they feared the people because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. They were so worried about losing their status among the religious community that they were willing to be cowardly when it came to standing up for what Scripture is saying, outside the church and inside. Because there may be things that Scripture says about marriage, about, about, about a thousand other things. Think about all the conversations that we have. There's things that Scripture says. And we know this is what they say, but I don't know if I can do that. What's somebody going to say? What's somebody going to say? What's somebody going to do? I'm not sure how well that's going to go over. We're more worried about this than we were, are about this. And sometimes the convictions that we have are not really based in Scripture. They may be based about how we grew up. They may be based on our favorite preacher. Well, he wouldn't steer us wrong. It may be based upon all of these things, books that we may have read, things that we may have accumulated like lint in the dryer that has just accumulated and accumulated and accumulated and it's never cleaned out. And then all of a sudden we're moving forward treating things that we have been taught that aren't, that aren't necessarily in Scripture, but we're treating them as Scripture. We're treating them as if they are authority. Friends, we have constantly got to be evaluating what we hold on to. We'll constantly be evaluating what we believe and where we're, where we're at. Because the religious leaders wouldn't even do that. They were so concerned about what everybody else was thinking. And so Jesus is like, I'm not going to answer you. If you're not going to take a stand on something, I've been out here in front of you. I haven't backed off. I haven't come in the side door. I haven't been cowardly about it. I've been out front three and a half years. I'm about to go to a cross and really be exposed and really expose your sin. Could you at least interact with the Scriptures when we're having this conversation so that we can get to some truth? They weren't interested in truth. They were interested in their status. They were interested in their position. They were interested in their reputation. And I'm telling you, we as church folk, we know how to do that really, really well. And we've got to just back the truck up every so often and say, wait a minute. What are my motives here? What is really going on? 
What is happening? So Jesus didn't answer, but then Jesus decided to answer. And he gives a parable. Who doesn't love a good story? Well, we don't like a story when we're the villain. And that's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the chief elders and the priests and all that merry band of men, that's why they all decided they did not really like this story. But as you're reading through this, you probably got the, the, the gist of what Jesus was trying to say. But let, let's make sure we're breaking it down because I don't want you walking out of here getting the wrong message about what Jesus is talking about. So, starts off. Pardon me. Love this time of year. I really do. I really do. My nose doesn't, but, but the rest of me does. And he began to speak to them in parables. Okay, so let's look. Like, we're, we're, just pretend that you're going to the Beulah Theater and you're about to look at a play and you got the program. And boy, you're wondering how this is all going to play out. Let's see who the actors are that are on the stage here. Are you with me? I want to make sure. And it says here, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. Now, this is a lovely setup because the man who is the owner represents our Heavenly Father. Now, you say, well, I didn't think the Heavenly Father was a man. This is a story to try to get a picture. Not all of it's going to be completely airtight, but the message is going to be very, very clear. It says a man planted a vineyard. Now, the vineyard represents the people of Israel. If you read through Isaiah 5, 1 to 7, you see that this is the national symbol for the people of Israel, a vineyard. Coins had grapes and vines on them. The temple had pictures and, and etchings of grapes and vineyards all over it. This was God's... In fact, that when Jesus is talking in John 15, I am the vine, I am the vine, you're the branches. I mean, he didn't have to explain anything that was going on there. They all knew this so well because that was their national symbol. And so what God was doing was, he's like, he's prepared a land that was going to be protected and where he was going to go through the land and throw out all the junk and all the stuff so that they would have a beautiful land to be a part of. It was promised to Abraham back in Genesis 12. It was given to them in full in pieces, but in full when they went in after they were rescued from Egypt, walking through the wilderness for those 40 years into the promised land. That's their land. By the way, it still is. Let the, let the hearer understand. It still is. So what he did was, what, what was the custom then was, the owner would buy the land, he would do this, and he would go away to conduct other business, and he would bring in tenants to watch it. Their goal was to watch it. These tenants represent the religious leaders. They were supposed to follow the instructions of the owner. And so what was going to happen is after, after a while, there were going to be some servants that were going to be sent back. These servants represent God's prophets and God's people. God's prophets to God's people to give him more instructions and to collect the harvest. This was a common practice back then. But here's what also was a common practice. Verse 2, when the season came, he sent a servant. Remember, the servant is a prophet, okay? So he sent a servant to the tenants, the religious leaders, to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now, when we look at this, Let me just read to you from Leviticus 19. It says this, When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And the fourth year all of its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. 
But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord. So five years went by and he came back. Now what happened, what can happen is those tenants can forget about the owner and begin to think that that land is theirs. It's theirs, right? And sometimes when we think about different types of economic systems, like, like, like what, one of the things that Karl Marx and communism was really all about was the workers of the world unite. They were the ones that controlled the means of production, so it was really theirs and all that. And what they forget about with other economic systems, they remind us is that the owners are the ones that foot the bill, and they're the ones that are taking the risk, and they're the ones that are, that are looking at this. And so what happened was is that these folks... Let's put the economics aside, back to the Bible. When we look at this and we see there that after five years, they had forgotten about the owner, believed that the land was theirs. And so if anybody came and tried to tell them how to mess with their stuff, well, what did they do? Well, we have three rounds of this. Look at verse three, and they took him away and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sends another one. Again, verse 4. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head. I could also be translated, broke their arm. Either way, not good, and treated him shamefully. Verse 5. And he sent another, and, they, and him they killed. And over and over, he sent another, and they killed him. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. This is tragic. But, this is, but there's something else about this. How long-suffering is God. How patient is he with our sorry hides? Over and over and over again. Let's get back to what the, the, the parable means. How many prophets did he send to the people of Israel? How many judges, how many kings, how many people did he send to the people of Israel over and over and over again and how they beat them and hurt them and harmed them and killed them and he kept sending them and sending them and sending them and sending them. Well, I, boy, if, if, if I was back then, I would, be, I would be acting way different. I don't know. I don't know if you would or not because how many evangelists has God sent to us? Evangelist over evangelist over evangelist, teacher after teacher after teacher, pastor after pastor after pastor, whoever after whoever after whoever to remind us of the things of God and yet sometimes we say and we just go on our merry way we respect him we may honor him we may think highly of him do we put our lives around him do we evaluate everything we hold on to everything we do everything we watch everything we believe every do we put it under the white hot light of scripture and the light of the world, Jesus Christ, or do we assume that he's okay with what we're doing? Say, Pastor Matt, I didn't expect you to be like this this morning. Well, neither did I. But here we are, and this is what Jesus is telling us here, and he's letting us have it. And I'm like, well, I gotta, if I got to have it during the week, then you're going to get it this morning because we all need it. We all need it. Because who's, relig- who's really, when you look at religious leaders, who are you thinking of? Well, sometimes we think, well, it's you, pastor, and you would be say, to a degree, you're right, but all of us carry some sort of influence. But I'm looking at this as well, and I'm thinking to myself, how many times have I seen something in Scripture and backed off because I was worried about what somebody was going to say, and I didn't want the headache? That's honest, and I'm not proud of that. 
And so there's times when I, I see something in Scripture and, you know, uh, is this really a hill to die on? Okay, no. When in reality, when it's something that the Scriptures say and it's something that's right out there, who in the world do we think that we are to take to, 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 to discern, well, I don't think God really meant that there. And he didn't mean that here. Who do we think we are? Shame, shame, shame on us. And he's been patient. Oh, so patient. But let me tell you this. Sometimes people end up saying, well, God is a God of unlimited patience and unconditional love. Watch yourself. He has a lot of patience and he's got a lot more than we do. And he's got a lot of love, and he's got a lot more than we do. But there, it is not unlimited. There is going to be a day, I read in the book here, there's going to be a day he's going to come back and settle accounts. And I'm telling you, when he comes back, I don't want to have to be said that I backed off on something. I want to be said that I led his church through the word and in meetings and in conversations and in my own conduct and personal deportment i want to make sure that i can say to him lord you are lord and i live my life based upon your authority and i led from your word based on your authority and so what happens well he he says here well they will respect my son that's tragic too because clearly they didn't this has turned from going from the news of what had been happening in the old testament over and over to now a prophecy because jesus was still around he's still talking about it but he's now going to prophecy this is what they're going to do to him he's talking about his own funeral how about that how about that He's talking about his own funeral, and he says this, but those, they will respect my sons, but those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. You know why they said that? Because usually when the son comes, it means the dad had died, the owner had died, and they thought, okay, if we get rid of him, then, oh, now we've got, now the opportunity is ours. Here we go. Let's, let's handle it. But you know, but notice what it says here. He still had one other. In Hebrews, it talks about this. Long ago, this is the, it starts it off this way. Long ago and in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Is there anybody that's going to come after? Now, the Muslims say Muhammad came after. We would disagree with that. The Mormons have said others have come after him. We would disagree with that. Because I'm looking at this and there's none other to come after. What you do with the son is going to determine that. There's not going to be any other people coming by that are going to be greater and mightier and better than him. And do you respect his son? I'll amp it up. Do you worship his son? I'll amp it up there. Do you trust his authority over, over you, over your life, over your church? Or is it my life? Oh, Billy Joel, I don't care what you say to me anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. Billy Joel said that a long time ago, 1978. And yet here we are still saying the same thing. Leave me alone. Don't mess with my stuff. This is my church. Don't mess with my stuff here. It's not our church. Never was. I didn't pay for this. Neither did you. Jesus did. It's his church. And and, and every church that names the name of Christ, it's his. We're just stewards of it. We're just putting it in the place that he's telling us, putting all the resources in the place that he tells us to. 
So what happened? Well, what will the owner of the vineyard do? What will the Father do to us if we do not respect and worship and honor and obey and treat Jesus as the oldest creed in, the, in, in Christianity is this? Three, letter, three words. Jesus is what? Lord. Started off strong. Simple, concise, strong. He will come and destroy the tenants, the religious leaders, the religious folk that were leading people in the wrong, in the wrong way, thinking it's their stuff, and he will give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scriptures? He did it again. He is always going after the religious leaders, reminding them of God's word, and the religious leaders are saying, I don't care. Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23, I read this earlier, the stone that the builders rejected. Remember, when you're you're doing the vineyard, you're clearing out all these rocks, clearing out all these rocks to make sure everything's smooth, clearing out all these rocks. Well, they were trying to clear out one rock too many. And sometimes we are as well. Our lives, dear Christian, are intended to be be built around Jesus. He is the cornerstone of our faith. He's the cornerstone of our lives, and we try to throw him out to try to build it on something else. That's what they were doing. That's what we tend to do. And we can't because that cornerstone that you're, that, that stone that you're throwing away is the cornerstone by which all else is measured. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And what did they do? Well, they did it again. Jesus did it again with Scripture, and they did it again. And they were seeking to arrest him. They weren't going and finding a scroll. What does, what, is he right? They weren't evaluating what they believed, what they held on to. No, we know what it is. We've been, we're religious leaders. We've been in this religious system for a long time. We know, just like we tend to be the same way. I've been in church my whole life. Of course I know what God has to say. Of course I know what he has to say about these, all these matters. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to evaluate it. I've already got it. Beware. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. But feared the people. But feared the people. Not God. The people. For they had perceived that the, he had told the parable against them. Some of you may be listening to this. He's like, he's preaching about me. No, I'm not. And you may have dismissed what I'm saying because you think I'm, I'm talking to you. No, I'm not. I'm delivering the mail. I'm telling you about some of my tendencies, but I bet you I'm not the only one. I'll give you a concrete example, and it may have been something that I shared with you, and that's the, that's the thing. I don't keep a record of every little illustration that I share with all of you, so sometimes I may repeat myself. But in this case, some of you may be new or you may not remember that I said this, but I want to tell you about a concrete thing that happened. And it can, and it can look like you, can, you would be tempted to say, that's a shame that he did that. But there is times when we may do it as well. I had, a, I had a friend of mine who had changed his mind on a significant tenet of what Christians, Bible-believing Christians believe. It's something that the culture is holding to very strongly. But we who read the Scriptures don't hold to that we hold to a biblical view of this and so he ended up stepping down from his pastorate and this dude's a good friend 
I mean, he, he is a good friend. And so when, when this happened about a month later, we met uh, at a coffee shop here in the area. And he just started talking about his journey, about this, this journey that he's had that brought him to this particular conclusion. And so as pastors tend to do when we're talking about something the Bible says, we tend to talk about, you know, what, what does it say in the original languages, especially if it's something that's a little tough to understand. And somehow someone, someone wrote a paper on something back in 1946 that was saying that the word that we use for this is the word, really word for something else. And so this thing, I mean, it was just this whole thing. But we both knew someone that knew Greek really, really well. I mean, he is a scholar of the first order, a professor. And the question came up, well, maybe you should go talk to him. His response was, I don't want to go talk to him. He might tell me I'm wrong. And you say, how tragic. When we tend to do that all the time. Think about the conversations that we have regarding marriage. Alcohol. Membership. The, or- the ordinances. The medical practices. The medical practices that are starting to mutilate our kids. Think about the conversations that we're having. And we talk and talk and talk and talk, and talk about it. And yet all the while, are we going here to see what's being said and evaluating it? Because there are times when we may be like some churches that may not go far enough with what the Scriptures say, but there may be some of us that are going further than the Scriptures are saying. But that's where it is, and of course God's on my side, and I'm not going to evaluate it even if somebody comes to me with Scripture saying something else. Do you see what can happen? We can be doing the same thing. And by what authority do we have to take away from the Word or add to it? There's some pretty dire warnings for if we add to the Word or we take away from it. So what I'm saying to you is this. Who's your authority? Is your authority, like we talked last week, the values of Christianity and the systems of the church and, and the systems of the... Or is, is it about the, the ancillary and the peripheral matters or is it Jesus? Because there can be a difference. Those religious leaders were doing all the stuff, but they were nothing but leaves. They were doing all the stuff, but they never... Once, when they were confronted from Scripture by Jesus, they, were, they never once went and, and reevaluated where they were. They were more concerned about their reputation, more concerned about being right, more concerned about being out front, more concerned about being in control. They were more concerned. They wanted to be Lord. And maybe that's where we are. And some of you who aren't Christians, you're like, yeah, boy, I'm glad you're going after church people. Okay, this is for you. This is for you. Are you evaluating what you believe based upon what God has revealed in his word? Well, I don't believe that. Well, that's what he's revealed in his word. That's where he is. And are you evaluating what you believe based upon what he has 
what he has said? Are you making pronouncements about what Jesus is all about and not interacting with what Jesus has said in his word? Are you making pronouncements about what you think church should be even though you're not, you haven't surrendered to the one who is the Lord of the church? We all have an issue and have a temptation to just, this is, this is what I believe, this is where I'm at, and I don't care what anybody else says, and, the, and then no longer evaluate where we are. But Jesus has given us his word. Not to take away from, and not to add to. And he's given us his word. And he has said that he is Lord. And when he gives us scripture, let's evaluate it and put it up against where we're at so that we can move forward and not say, well, I don't want to know that because I don't want him telling me I'm wrong. So for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, I challenge you, I encourage you, I beg you, read through the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a selected biography by, that was written by his eyewitness accounts of his disciples that has, has been preserved in Scripture. Read through it. You have information on the front of our bulletin where you can get a hold of us if you have questions. Use it. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, we're gonna be, we may come across things that Scripture may say and it may cut toward what something else that we may have long held on to? Are we going to hold on to what we've always held on to? Or are we going to say, hey, God seems to be saying something different about it. Let's talk about it. And make sure we're getting in line with what he is saying. Because he's Lord. Let's recommit our lives to Christ and his word this morning. So Father, help us. We may say to ourselves, I'm all right. I don't want anybody telling me different. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that softens our heart to be receptive. To make sure that we are doing things your way. And we are moving well forward to what you've called us to do. May we, may we not be ones who are nothing but leaves. But may we actually be bearing fruit. May we trust you. May we live for you. May we surrender our all to you. May we see areas of our life where we may not be loving our neighbor, where we may be holding to things that isn't isn't according to you. And Lord, may we never take you or your word for granted, but may we always be pursuing you in everything. So if there's those that are not here, that are here, that do not trust in Christ and have not surrendered to Christ, may this be the morning where they say, I am denying myself. I am denying all that I have ever held to about Jesus, and I'm going to hold on to Jesus. And may that be what you've called all of us to do, Lord, who are already followers of you, but we've allowed ourselves to drift into a rut to where we're like, this is what I believe. I know Scripture may say something different. This is what Help us, Lord, to get out of that rut and to get on, on the rock and to be ready to have our lives changed. Be ready to repent. Be ready for revival. Because when we get in line with your word, oh, that's, that's, that's the good stuff. Thank you, Father, for not leaving us alone. In Jesus' name, amen.
Speak to my heart. Now that is one of those hymns that can be a dangerous one if you really don't want God to speak to your heart. But if you do, then sing this to where the roof gets off of this church. Lord, speak to my heart today. Show me where you would have me to go. Show me what you would have me to do. Let's stand together and commit our lives to Christ this morning.